Good morning. My name is Addie. Um, I'm from the Bertrand Community Group. Um, I'm going to be reading our passage this morning. Um, it's going to be on page 844 if you're in our church Bibles. Um, we're going to be in Mark chapter 8, chapter 27 to 30, or verse 27 to 30. All right. Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ. And Jesus went on with his disciples to, to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Nice work, Addie. She uh, loves to public speak. She tells me all the time that she'd like to read the text every single week if I'd let her. So, hey, you're up. If you want to minister in a job here, you can be our text reader. Hey, uh, my name's Tanner House. I'm the lead pastor here. Thank you all for, for being here this morning. If you're a guest, if you'd take a minute, there's a connect card under your chair. Fill it out, name, phone number, email address, your preferred way of contact. If you would like to learn more about our church and how we can plug you in to the life of the body, get you serving, um, answer any questions you may have. And then on the flip side, there is a place for prayer request. So if you... Uh, would like prayer for anything, feel like you need prayer for anything, Mark and I would be honored to come alongside you in that and pray for you and pray with you. So you can take a minute, fill that out, return it to one of us at the, uh, at the end of the service. Also, um, I'd like for, especially if you're a covenant member here, I'd like for you all to actually like, I know the verses are on the screen, but use a physical Bible. So those are available on the communion tables in the back if you'd like. And as Addie said, we're on page 844. If you want one, some, raise your hand. Zach will bring you one before he sits down. Uh, if you need one, raise your hand. Zach will bring you one. So, all right. It uh, looks like you're good, my man. Hey, so I grew up on like the animated Disney movies, uh, you know, all the, all the classics. And over time, Disney would do this big giant money grab where they would take your favorite animated classic movie and turn it into a live action movie. And most of the time, the live action movies were not nearly as good as the originals. For example, a few years ago, they redid Aladdin, they redid The Jungle Book, they redid The Lion King. One of those lions sounded a lot like Beyonce. Um, they had these real looking animals and real people. And guess what? These movies were not great. Uh, but Disney made a ton of money, which, argue with me if you want, but I think that's their goal. Um, every now and then, a handful of these companies, Disney's, Disney and others, would take an old story, like an old fairy tale or an old classic book, and they'd make a movie out of it, like Alice in Wonderland's been done several times. Uh, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol has been done several thousand times. Uh, and another one that's been done by a lot of people, it's been Peter Pan. Most of the Pan movies are, are terrible. But in 1992, TriStar teamed up with Steven Spielberg, Dustin Hoffman, Robin Williams. Ju ju yeah, 
R.I.P. Julia Roberts, she smiles in that movie. Uh, they made a movie, it was called Hook, and it was awesome. It was awesome. It focuses on Peter Pan. He leaves Neverland, the place where you never grow up. And he was visiting his friend Wendy, and he falls in love with Wendy's granddaughter, Myra. Um, and instead of going back to Neverland where he could... Re- remain a teenage boy with no responsibilities, he moves to the real world and gets integrated into real life and kind of forgets where he came from. Hook, on the other hand, never leaves Neverland and he comes back to the real world and kidnaps Pan's kids and uses them as bait for this epic showdown that he's been waiting on since, uh, since him and Hook last met in a duel. And so Pan then gets transported to Neverland by Tinkerbell, played by Julia Roberts. And upon Pan's return, it becomes pretty clear to the audience and the Lost Boys that Peter Pan, uh, or Peter Panning as he now goes by, has clearly forgotten who he was and how to be the superhero guy that he's supposed to be. After some training, he regains his Pan-like nature, and he confronts Hook in this duel, Hook overpowers him at one point, and the movie's about to end really sadly. And then when it seems hopeless, Tinkerbell flies in and gets right in Peter Pan's face, and she says, I believe in you, Peter. And then it pans over to the Lost Boys, and they're all like, I believe in you, Peter. And then it gets to his kids, and they're like, I believe in you, Peter Pan. And that gives Pan the fuel he needs to then overpower Hook and rescue his kids and fly back to London. It was a good flick, man. It was a good flick with with a happy ending. And throughout this movie, we see this man and his followers, the Lost Boys, really trying to come to terms with, with who Peter Pan is. Their knowledge of who he is, or at least who he was and what he could be, and what their expectations were, like, they all had to coalesce into what they were experiencing. If they don't, if Peter Pan doesn't actually overpower Hook and save the day, then he really is just a miserable accountant from the States. With the help of some pixie dust and some happy thoughts, he can fly around and do some acrobatic somersaults and crow. Like, in our text today... We're going to see Jesus' disciples confronted with a similar type of situation. This, this is one of the most important texts in the Gospel of Mark, especially as it pertains to us and the church global. I want to submit to you this. It is possible, it's possible to have a lot of knowledge about Jesus. It is possible to know a lot of facts about Jesus. It's a whole other thing to believe in Jesus, the God of the Bible. So I want to lay that before you this morning, and really every Sunday morning, and I want to ask you this. Who is Jesus? Maybe let's take that a little further for you personally. Ask yourself, who is Jesus to me? And why does that even matter? So I want to pray, and then I want to jump into this this, uh, text this morning. Lord Jesus, we love you. 
We need you. Lord, may you reveal to us in our hearts that, yes, may we stand alongside our brother Peter and say, you are the Christ. Lord, would you reveal yourself to us? Would you reveal your truth to us this morning? Lord, may we come to terms in our own hearts and in our own minds and in our own lives what you're trying to do, what you're trying to teach us, what you're trying to show us, Lord. And may you call us to belief in the resurrected Savior this morning. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, Mark 8, beginning in verse 27, it says, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? All right, so just as a quick review, um, I want to just pick up, if you hadn't been here in the last few weeks, just pick up kind of where we left off a few weeks ago. I want to review for a second. Three weeks ago, we saw Jesus in the Gentile or non-Jewish regions of, of these two communities, Tyre and Sidon. And Jesus feeds a crowd of 4,000 people in a desolate place with a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. This is immediately followed by two separate healings of Jesus where he cast out a demon that was in a little girl from like miles away. And then he takes this blind and mute guy and he heals him, showing an immense amount of compassion towards him. Then two weeks ago... We saw Jesus having a confrontation with the Pharisees, the the religious leaders of the day, and these guys were demanding yet another sign from Jesus. After seeing and hearing all that Jesus had been doing, they still wanted more. They still expected more. So Jesus rebukes them in their unbelief and tells them, no, you will not be receiving any more signs. In Matthew's gospel, in the same account, he tells the Pharisees that the only sign that they'll be given is the sign of Jonah. Meaning this, that the Messiah will rise from the dead and and preach repentance to sinners. So Jesus and his disciples get back into their boat. They leave, sail away, and while they're on their boat, the disciples are like, oh dang, we forgot the bread. We have one loaf of bread, 13 guys on this boat, that is a problem. There's not enough bread on this boat to feed us all, except one of these guys on this boat is Jesus. And as we've seen twice before, Jesus can take bread and turn it into more bread. It's a pretty cool skill. Um, and so they have one boat, and, they're, and Jesus starts teaching them about leaven, and they're like, Jesus, we said we didn't have bread And instead of a faith-filled response because of what they had seen and experienced in the past few days, the past few weeks, the past few months, many times before that moment, they were fearful and they doubted the presence and power of Jesus and who Jesus said he was. So they get to the shore. I don't know if Jesus multiplied bread in that moment or not. The text doesn't say. But they get to the shore And last week, we see when they hit the shore, a crowd comes around Jesus, and these guys bring another blind guy to him. And it's interesting to note, if you look back the the passage before, um, Jesus takes this blind guy away from the crowd, away from the village, 
And this miracle is unlike any other miracle we have seen previously or that we will see again. Jesus heals this man in two stages. He, lay, he spits in his eyes and he lays his hands on him and he asks the guy, what do you see? And the guy says, I see trees. They look like, I see people walking around, but they look like trees. And so Jesus then, it just doesn't make any sense, right? Because Jesus takes Two, two tries, two attempts to heal, the, heal this guy. But why? Jesus could heal at a distance. Jesus could heal with a touch or a word as he had previously done. But he takes his time with this guy. He touches him and he fully isn't healed but seems rather he's only partially healed. So Jesus takes another stab at it and heals this guy fully. Restores the sight to this blind guy. So what we saw is that Jesus first revealed himself to this man's heart before he healed him. We see Jesus revealing his deity or his godlike nature and character, meaning that Jesus is redeeming this man's spiritual condition before he's fixing the physical condition. So what that means for us is this. Jesus will not do any miracles that have no redeeming work. He isn't on the scene to be a miracle worker, but rather to be a savior and a redeemer of souls. And in spite of all this, in spite of all the miracles that the disciples had seen and witnessed, they still lack faith and they still lack understanding. And so in this two-stage miraculous healing of this blind man, Jesus is showing us the faith journey, the sanctification process, the process of becoming more and more like Jesus is in fact a process. When Christ calls you into salvation through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and faith to Christ alone, man, something happens immediately. You are no longer a slave to your sin, but you are a son or a daughter of God through the blood of Jesus, and that's very good news. But here's the rub for a lot of us in an instant gratification society that we live in. Man, we still have to die to ourselves. We are still being transformed into Christ's likeness. The moment of salvation, your soul is eternally changed. But your temporal earthly existence, you are still living in a sin-laden world and still have to fight earthly temptations and fleshly desires. So here's where we landed last week. Christians, if you're a believer in this room, listen to me. It isn't about what you're struggling with. It's about how are you struggling. Are you struggling towards Jesus? I want to remind you of this. If you are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. It is okay to be where you are in your faith journey. It's not okay for you to stay there. If you claim to be a Christian and you are not growing in your faith and dependency in Jesus, man, that's an issue. If you are a Christian and you are struggling, are you fighting sin? Meaning, when you miss the mark, when you fall short of the standard that God has set for us, knowing that you are not always going to be successful and knowing that you are going to fail and knowing that you are going to sin and miss the mark, is your life marked by repentance when you fail? Man, that's what Christ is after. Belief in him, faith in him, and repentance in him. So 
Pick it up here, verse 27, we see Jesus and his disciples. They're headed for this region of Caesarea Philippi. And it's an interesting place for what's about to happen. It's an interesting place for the first, like, proclamation of Christ being the Messiah because this place is a hub for a lot of paganism, for a lot of idol worship. This represents a lot of hostility towards the Jewish faith of the day. And Jesus and his disciples are heading that direction. Keeping in mind the flow of the Gospel of Mark, meaning that these stories don't just happen in isolation, they're actually like building on each other. Um, what is taking place here is so interesting. Because last week, we saw Jesus give a gradual physical healing to this blind man in Bethsaida. And now we're going to see a gradual spiritual healing, gradual spiritual revelation to his disciples. And so Jesus asked them this question. Who do people say that I am? And part of growing in your faith is also growing in your understanding of the gospel. And part of growing in your faith is really knowing what you believe about Jesus. Part of growing and understanding is knowing what is true and what is not about Christ. A big part of growing in our faith is understanding. And in faith in Jesus, not only what is true about Jesus, but what also may be popular about Jesus that is actually untrue about Jesus. This is, just to give you like a churchy word, this is called apologetics. Apologetics defines means this. It's the discipline of defending doctrines through a systematic argumentation of discourse. So a little more tangible definition is this. Knowing what you believe about the gospel and being able to defend it. So one of the best ways you can defend your faith against heresy or false teachings is to know contrary positions to it. But it's also critically important that you know what you believe as well. So here's a real practical question, Christians in this room. Do you know the gospel for yourself? All right, here we go, small crowd today. I'm going to go around the room, call on a few of you, and ask you, hey, what is the gospel? JK, I'm not going to do that. But if I, if I did, like, did that cause any anxiety in you when you thought that might be true? hey Um If you don't know what you believe, if you cannot definitively stand on the word of God, man, I'd ask those of you that are Christians to really consider growing in this area. I can give you some of my favorite resources, both books and YouTube channels. But let me reiterate something very quickly. It's so incredibly important for you to know the gospel for yourselves. Just as a point of emphasis, if you claim to be in Christ, not every one of you has to be like a pastor or go to seminary or work in a church. But if you claim to be a Christian, every single one of you needs to know what you believe and how to stand for truth. Especially as Christianity gets more and more marginalized and pushed to the fringes in our society. So Jesus says to his disciples, hey, what's the word? Verse 28, and they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others say one of the prophets. So here we have like three buckets of responses from the disciples. So far removed from this event, you know, a couple thousand years later, it may be hard to understand what any of this means. Um, 
but what they're saying is really no different than what people say today. It's really no different than people's views of Jesus today. The disciples say, some, of you, some people say you're John the Baptist. Uh, if you remember from uh, chapters back in our walk through Mark, John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, and he was the prophesied forerunner to the Messiah, meaning he was going to come before the Messiah to teach and prepare the way for Jesus to come. But this guy, Herod, had, had him beheaded. Um, and now many people thought that Jesus was John the Baptist who had come back to life in the person of Jesus. And then they say, hey, some people say that you're Elijah. Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament. You can read about him in 1 Kings. Um, in the time of Elijah, he was a fierce defender of the worship of the true God over idols, specifically the uh, Canaanite idol uh, Baal. When you really consider the office of the prophet in the Old Testament, Elijah's kind of the standard. It's like he's like the super prophet. God would work many miracles through, through him. He'd work resurrection. He'd rain down fire from heaven and other things through the ministry of Elijah. The book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, prophesies that Elijah will return one day before the day of judgment. So he's essentially considered the messenger of the Messiah's return. So what we see is that John the Baptist is actually the fulfillment of the Elijah prophecies. So the disciples are saying like, oh, maybe you're the prophesied forerunner. And then there's some other people that say, ah, oh, you're, just, you're just another prophet, like one of the prophets in the Old Testament. And if you look at these things, you consider all three of these things, all three of these things are really positive attributes, right? John the Baptist, Elijah, Old Testament prophets, they're all respected. They're all really well thought of. The problem is, these descriptions are just not accurate. They're not accurate representations of Jesus. Daniel Aiken says these all may be efforts to honor him but they all misinterpret him. They applaud him, but they also deny him. Here's how this plays out in our day and age. I mean, I have conversations with people weekly about Jesus. It's just, it's just part of the gig. Um, so let's pretend for a second you and I are having a dialogue. We're all over the map here in this church in our spiritual journeys, and that's cool. So if I were to ask you, who is Jesus, or who is Jesus to you, think about how you'd respond for a minute. A lot of Christian media portrays non-Christians as, like, overwhelmingly hostile to Jesus. Like that one angry atheist in that cheesy Christian movie, all of you other church brats watch with me in youth group. He's like... That one angry atheist, atheist trying to discredit that poor 15-year-old kid that, that just came to faith in Christ. And yes, in society, there are some of those people. But in my experience, especially in like my Bible Belt Odessa experience, it's something completely different. You will get responses that essentially are like, yeah, Jesus was a good guy. Jesus taught us how to live. That's known as moralism. 
You will get answers from people that believe in a God or some kind of like higher power and think that Jesus was a man or a prophet teaching about things on how to pacify this God and get into a right relationship with him. That's a form of deism. Here's likely the most common one you'll, you'll encounter here, and honestly the one that makes me the most sad. And if I'm honest, the one that really angers me because of its prevalence in our town and in a lot of our churches. You have these people who know every single possible like Sunday school answer to give to the question of who is Jesus. They'd say like, yeah, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Jesus rose from the grave three days later. Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus never sinned. And then they go on living like the cross and resurrection have no bearing on their lives. Look, man, the goal is to not, it's not to cuss less, right? It's possible to have spotless church attendance and have no real tangible relationship with Jesus. It's possible to give and serve and attend and be a part of a community group with no relationship with Christ. And do you know what that gets you? If you believe what the Bible says, and most people in that latter category would say that they do, it gets you nowhere but an eternity separated from Christ. It might offer you a struggle-free, relatively easy life, maybe, but it doesn't get you salvation. You can't love a Jesus you don't know. You can know facts, but that doesn't necessarily move you towards a loving relationship with Christ and the things that Christ loves. The goal is that you would know Jesus and love Jesus and be transformed by Jesus. Think about this for a second. Show of hands, any of you on social media? Most of you, all of you. Um, I've been off Facebook since... 2016 uh, during election season but there was a time back when I had Facebook when I had like 2,500 Facebook friends extroverted in life extroverted online is the whole thing Um, but out of those 2,500 Facebook friends I knew like 10 of them intimately Man, Facebook allowed me to see your spouse and your families and know where you were living and what you did for a living, and I wasn't meaningfully connected to you. I wasn't meaningfully connected to anyone at all. And culturally, man, we treat Jesus the same way. There are a lot of people who would verbally deny all the false teachings about Jesus. But if you're one of those people... I'd ask you to consider to take a look at your life. Do you live a life marked by the grace and mercy of Jesus? Do you live like the grace and mercy in Jesus on the cross changes anything for you? 
Or are you living a life marked by like a Sunday morning religiosity, churchianity sort of way, and then six and a half days of the week living however you want with no thoughts towards Christ, with no consideration given to his word, with no conviction of sin? Man, if this is you, that's a problem for the state of your soul. So Jesus asked them this question to get them to think deeply about what they believe. And he follows it up with another question. He's essentially asking them, do you agree with those people? Verse 29, he says, and he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Sweet Peter. Peter answered him, you are the Christ. Amen. You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. I want to deal with these two things in reverse order. Peter makes this amazing proclamation. It is the proclamation that the church of Jesus Christ is founded on. That Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus Christ is God. That is an amazing proclamation. And then Jesus says, don't say anything about it. This is another instance of the messianic secret. But why? Why would Jesus, if he knows who he is, his disciples know who he is, why would he encourage them to keep quiet about it? Keep in mind this. Every time we see Jesus hitting the shore, going to a new village, immediately a crowd gathers around him. Jesus' popularity amongst the Jews is at an all-time high. Man, also keep in mind this. The Jewish nation, the nation of Israel, has been in captivity for most of their history. And here again in the time of Jesus, they find themselves in captivity again. They have been in captivity on and off since the time of Joseph at Genesis 50. Like several thousand years of captivity on and off. And here they're being ruled by the Romans. And they are looking for their Redeemer. But they're not wanting a spiritual Redeemer. They are collectively hoping for a political Savior. And so Jesus, trying to avoid a frenzied crowd that's going to come and try to make him king by force, tells his disciples, hey, just just keep this between us for now. Let's, Let's stay silent. There is going to come a time after the resurrection where there will be a go and tell everybody you know. But for now, let's just keep in mind that Jesus' mission is spiritual before it's earthly. There will come a time where Jesus is going to rule and reign on the earth. But now is not that time. There is a cross before him. So with that in view, uh, Jesus presents this question to his disciples. What about you, says Jesus? What do you think? After all you've seen and experienced and heard, what do you believe? Who do you say that I am? 
And Peter makes this bold and important proclamation. You are the Christ. You are the one we've been waiting for since Genesis 3 when God tells the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You are the Messiah. You are the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. And church, Jesus presents that same question to you. Who do you say that I am? You cannot be wrong here. There is one and only one acceptable answer. Jesus is either the Christ, the Savior of the world, God in flesh who has come as the propitiation or the substitute for the punishment of your sins, or he's nothing. There is absolutely no in-between here. You cannot afford to be wrong on this one. Christ is either everything to you or Christ is nothing to you. Jesus did not come to be one other thing on the menu of your busy life. Jesus wants to be your life. God has revealed himself in the form of Jesus God incarnate, God in flesh, this Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, this Jesus. This Jesus who lives the life we could never live, perfect and sinless and in complete submission to God the Father. This Jesus who died the death we deserved, paying the penalty we could never afford. Man, because our sin is steep. Jesus defeated sin and death by rising from the dead, and through the blood of Christ, we have now have access to the Father. Through the blood of Christ, we are now adopted as sons and daughters of the perfect Heavenly Father. We have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, who is indwelling believers, who convicts of sins and intercedes for us before God, and then empowers us for the work of ministry. And the question you have to answer is, does any of this even matter to me? Man, if the answer is yes, praise God. So we fight. We fight to put sin to death in our lives and not in our own power. But in the power of God who is fighting for us. When we sin, when we miss the mark, we repent. We turn from our sin. And we trust the completed work of Jesus on our behalf. With the same power that God used to raise Christ from the dead, it's the same power that indwells Christians. I just want to make a a brief aside real quick um, in regards to fighting sin. You don't fight sin alone, and you don't fight sin alone with God in isolation either. Christ has given you a gift, and the gift is the body of Christ for encouragement and accountability and to point out blind spots to you and to point you back to Christ when your desires for him are lacking. You need the church. That's why we push community so hard here. You cannot grow fully in Christ without Christ and the body of Christ. So look, man, if you think you have to have it all together for Christ to love you, That's a lie. 
I'd ask you to look at our buddy, the Apostle, the Apostle Peter. He seems to be the mouthpiece for the disciples. Maybe he's just the one that's either too bold or too dumb for his own good, which I identify a lot with this guy. Um, if you just look at the course of his life, he has moments of incredible faithfulness. Like in our text today, he has moments of incredible faithfulness and then moments of sheer faithlessness and stupidity. Four verses ahead, uh, if you want to read ahead for next week. Contextually speaking, our text next week takes place just like five minutes after this one, where Peter confesses Christ, and next week we're going to see he still doesn't fully understand the mission and the purpose of Jesus, and Jesus actually tells him, get behind me, Satan. So, if you're struggling, man, if you're Moments of faithlessness, like, you're in good company. I've read the end of the book. Peter turns out all right. The point of following Jesus is that we become more like Jesus. And this just doesn't happen overnight. We all struggle with faithlessness to one degree or another, and Christ calls us to come as we are, and he will give us a new heart and new desires and new motives. If you wait till you have yourself all put together and cleaned up before you're going to come to God, you're never going to be good enough in your own eyes. We're all called to judge ourselves by God's standard in Jesus. And because of that, we will never, ever be able to measure up. But for the cross, we have received grace and forgiveness. Christian, Christians who are struggling, do not give up. Do not grow weary. Christ invites you to consider him who fully loves you and fully knows you and willingly went to the cross in spite of you. Press into that, man. If you're ambivalent towards Christ, man, I'd ask you to just consider Jesus. I believe that Christ is better. I believe that Christ is worthy to be followed with your whole life. But what about you? Honestly, you, every single one of you, man, take a look at your life. Take a recap of last week or even yesterday, if that's helpful. Is your life marked by dependency on Christ? Is your life marked by like any tangible shred of a relationship or an acknowledgement of Jesus? Did you even give one single thought to Jesus. Did you, did you open your Bible at all this week? How long has it been since you spent any time in prayer or any time reading God's Word? Are you living in ongoing, willful, unrepentant sin? And if yes, do you try to justify yourself by saying, yeah, well, it's not that big of a deal? Or, yeah, I know I've done this thing. But so does that other guy, and he's way worse than me. When you're stressed out, or when your expectations go unmet, when you find yourself in some kind of a crisis, do you turn to Jesus in community, or do you wallow in some sort of self-pity or self-indulging behavior? Man, when people ask you why you believe what you believe, can you tell them why? Are you really a Christian or were you just raised in church? 
Does the scripture have any bearing on your life or are you just doing what feels good in the moment? And there's a huge difference in how you answer those questions. Man, if, if you claim to be a Christian and your life has no fruit that would suggest that you love and follow Jesus, I want to gently submit to you. You may not be. But the invitation for you is this. Lay it down at the cross. Consider Jesus who, as Philippians 2 says, Jesus who, though he was in in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that's for you, man. Christ went to death for you, and now he invites you to rest in him. To stop trying to be good enough on your own to earn God's favor, because you can't. To stop caring what people think about you, because God's view of you is the only one that truly matters. To stop trying to fix it on your own and to stop feeling guilty and shameful about what you've done and just turn to Christ in faith and repentance. And what would your life look like if Christ was your deepest treasure? Do you know the amount of joy and freedom that awaits you in Jesus? If you think you're good with Jesus and you don't even really know Jesus the Jesus of the Bible, if you don't delight in him, if you don't care about the things of Jesus, man, I'd tell you you're probably not good with Jesus. You need to repent. You need to turn from your sin. And you need to believe in the true Jesus. Not this cultural character of the Bible Belt religion. And when you do, when you repent, when you turn to God in faith and belief, Christ is merciful. Christ is gracious. Christ is faithful to do all that he says he will do. And he gives us himself. And I'd ask that if you want to feel, want this and you feel like you're not walking with the Lord, that you would pray that God would change your heart, that you would confess your sins to him, confess that you're a sinner in belief, that you would pray that God would change your desires and give you desires of the things of the Lord, that you would move on from an acknowledgement that things aren't as they should be in my own life, and that you would actually make a plan and commit to changing some things? Man, make a plan if you're a Christian and struggling to get in the Word. Make a plan to get in the Word every day. And if you need help getting started, come talk to me. But mostly, church, I just call you to consider Jesus who delights in giving us himself. And by means of his death and burial and resurrection is working for the good of believers and for his glory. Church, trust him this morning. Let's pray.